0: And, you know, even if, uh, oh gosh, I don't know why I'm so corny today. Even if they're not joined at the hip (laughs) and, you know, they do have some independent activities. As we well know, our society in large part is a couple society. So if your mate Is not able to partake in activities, or has to go home earlier because they're not feeling good, or uh, can't go for walks the way they normally would, or uh, you know do certain activities. Then sure, it's going to impact your the healthy mate as well, and and the activities
1: that they're doing. This week, a new study stipulates that having knee surgery or a hip replacement might actually improve your marriage. Dr. Karen Sherman explains why that might be the case. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm going to keep this short. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. You should know that we have a website, HitchedMag.com, with thousands of articles, our complete podcast archive with over 500 episodes, a free weekly newsletter, and more. If you like this podcast, please leave a rating or review to help encourage others to join. And without further ado, enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, editor-in-chief of HitchedMag.com. I am joined once again by the lovely, the brilliant, the original, Dr. Karen Sherman. Hi, Karen. Hi, Steve. Hello. Uh, Karen is a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for over 30 years. Karen is the author of Mindfulness in the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life, and she is also the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. Um we today are going to talk about a new study, as I like to do, um, about can can knee and hip and perhaps other joint replacement surgeries improve your marriage? Um, this study interviewed, and it's still in peer review, but um, it interviewed 33 couples with an average age of the patients being 68 years old and 67 for their spouse. And on average, couples had been married for about 36 years. So uh, obviously, the patients felt a lot better after having, having surgeries, boosting both their mobility and general activity participation. Um, this just on its surface, to me, seems like a good shot in the arm for a marriage to be able to improve mobility and participate in general activities. Yes. Think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but I'm sorry, this corny joke keeps going in my head, so I have to say it. Otherwise, it'll just keep bothering me. But only if it's a joint decision to go ahead with the surgery.
1: <laughs> Love it. Yeah, that's great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, but yeah, obviously, um, you know, there's a lot that goes into deciding if you should go ahead and do a surgery. Um, those surgeries, by the way, are considered elective surgeries. Uh, In other words, they are not life-threatening situations, and it is up to the patient if they feel they want to actually go through the procedure. So um, that's why they're considered elective. Um, But most people um, who end up going that route have been experiencing uh, a terrible amount of discomfort, pain, and um, an inability to do things that they normally could do. Right. And so that's why they go ahead and choose to
1: do it. I mean, the fact that it's elective is crazy to me. I mean, I, I understand um, the elective part of it. But when the pain is debilitating um, to the point that you can't walk, Uh, Mm -hmm. the fact that that would still be considered elective would be crazy because you would never say that like a broken bone is an elective surgery, but if your knee or hip is bone on bone to the point that you can't walk or stand or, you know, to the point of this study, um, it limits your mobility and general activity. So how, you know, I know that's a whole different yeah, topic, well, but it's it seems like it's one just one of the many things that I think is crazy with our healthcare system.
0: Um, I will I, – I found this study when you sent it to me very interesting because I've had three hip replacements. Now, you may think, how is that possible? You only have two hips. <laughs> but – um, I'm just such a hip person. I'm feeling really <laughs> corny today. Um, I I had it done at a very young age. It turns out that um, my the spread of my hips is very narrow, and so um, my hips took uh, wear and tear at a much earlier age than was usual. So because of that, the prosthesis. Uh, on the first surgery wore out, I outlived it. And so that had to be replaced. And the second one really should be replaced. But I think because I've become so conscientious about exercise that, um, I've been, I'm not in the position yet where it has to be redone. Mm-hmm. But the reason I'm bringing all this up is because, um, it truly did, uh, interfere with my life. I was in terrible pain. It was bone on bone, as you say. But I remember as I was finishing up my first examination with the surgeon who then did the surgery, One of the things he said to me is, you do realize this is elective surgery. And it like stunned me. But what he was basically saying is, it's your choice. You don't have to do this. Um, It's not anything that was going to be life-threatening to me. So it was a choice as to whether I wanted to go under anesthesia and have surgery and then have to do the rehabilitation because... There was nothing that was going to threaten my life existence. Of course, how you live is a whole other area, right. a whole other you know um, perspective. So, um, as you're suggesting, how could you say it's not you know that it, that it is elective? But technically, um, you are choosing to go through that entire. Pr- protocol when you don't have to you can
1: live with the pain right right um you know i i I get all that i get all that but you know it's it's not cosmetic i guess is the the more correct you know salient point here is it's not like you're trying to modify how you look or uh anything like that. It's, it's function. It's like, um, getting a stent in your heart when you're not having a heart attack. Well, uh, you'll function better. F- be- I mean, you may or may not die from a heart attack. People have clogged lungs and die of other things, right? But it helps you function better.
0: Okay. To play devil's advocate. Yeah.
1: I know that was a bad I example.
0: have... <laughs> I had, yeah, it was a bad example. I'm sorry, because you're talking heart, you know. But I, I have a friend who needed hip surgery, but was not in the financial position to go for it until two years after it was determined that she really was in need of it, and she managed. She was not comfortable by any stretch of the imagination, but she managed. Because, again, it wasn't taking, you know, it was not taking her life. It was not risking her life. She was just extremely uncomfortable. But in her particular situation, because of what her financial situation was and the insurance uh, limitations, she had to wait. And
1: so she did. Right. No, I get, I, I, I get the life-threatening nature of surgeries. And my heart stent was a bad example. But... I guess I'm just like frustrated, (laughs) frustrated with our healthcare system because it's so dumb. Uh, Oh,
0: it is. Absolutely. That's, but as you said, that's another whole discussion.
1: Right. I just, I, yeah. Um, Okay. We will stick on topic. Uh, Okay. And I I will try to stay in my lane. Um, The... The spouses of those who are having surgery were impacted, obviously, differently because they weren't going under the knife. Um, Mm -hmm. 70% of them reported that the main advantage of the surgery was the ability to carry on with social and leisure activities with their partner. Um, Mm -hmm. So it... I mean, it's, it's just a demonstration, and I mentioned at the top that these couples had been married on average about 36 years. So it's a demonstration mm-hmm. of how really intertwined that these couples' lives are, and um, they are able to live that life again because they have their partner sure. to do it with. Is that fair? Correct. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I, oh, it's an absolutely fair assessment. And, you know, even if, uh, oh gosh, I'm, I don't know why I'm so corny today. Even if they're not joined at the hip <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they do have some independent activities. As we well know, our society in large part is a couple society. So if your mate is not able to partake in activities, or has to go home earlier because they're not feeling good, or uh, can't go for walks the way they normally would, or uh, you know do certain activities. Then sure, it's going to impact your the healthy mate as well, and, and the activities that they're doing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah I mm-hmm. can absolutely understand why spouses would report that now they were able to have much of their life back as well.
1: Mhm. Yeah. Um this the spouses uh of those who had surgery also mentioned no longer witnessing their partner suffering as a mm. big boost, which which again mm-hmm. seems obvious. Um uh, I mean to me that would be really heart-wrenching uh So, um, in addition to that, there's also the caregiving that has also weighed in on the marriage. Um, do you have thoughts on, on those two things about the, the emotional impact of watching your spouse suffer and then also the caregiving aspect to it?
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. I think, especially if you're a sensitive person Um, It's hard to watch somebody that you love suffering. And since you're not inside their skin, you can't assess how bad it is. And so it becomes difficult to watch them in pain or having difficulty doing what could be very mundane tasks like picking something up from the floor, you know. Um, And as far as the caregiving – Anytime there is a situation where one partner or somebody that you're close to is chronically ill or, you know, living in this kind of a situation and the other partner then becomes the caregiver, that is one of the most stressful situations that the healthy partner is going to have to live through. Um, And it really behooves the caretaker to make sure that they're also taking care of themselves Mm -hmm. because we know that there can be burnout for them. Um, And as a matter of fact, um, one of my neighbor's husband just had a stroke. And initially, you know, I was very concerned about the effects of the stroke and what they're going through. But at this point, I keep checking in on her Mm -hmm. because she's tired. I can see that. And he wants her around all the time. He's very dependent on her. Um, and I keep saying to her, you've got to make sure you take time for yourself because, you know, in it in the least selfish way I can present it, if she doesn't take care of herself, she's not going to have energy to take care of him. Right. So, it is extremely um, demanding for a caretaker. And again, you know, I know like, you know, when my hip, before I had surgery, um, was it at a, a time in the process where I was really not okay. You know, you can't bend down. You can't walk. You can't do this. You can't do that. So, even little silly things, hon, could you do this? Could you do that? Could you take care of this? Would you mind, you know, managing this? It, it becomes where the person is just doing a huge amount of their share and then some. It's mm-hmm. a lot.
1: Yeah, Uh, When you talked about self-care, the the metaphor I always love to bring up is the emergency announcement on airplanes. Mm -hmm. And what they always talk about is if the airbag ever drops, put it on yourself first right? and they mm-hmm. recommend that so that you don't pass out. And that way you can help the person next to you. And it's, correct. it's the same thing that applies here is Absolutely. if you are passing out, uh, metaphorically from just over exhaustion and emotional mm-hmm. exhaustion, like you're just not going to be any good to the, your, your partner. So, um, that's correct. If, uh, you are a spouse of someone, Suffering and it is, in fact, weighing you down. What can you do? We just talked about this self care thing. So, what does that look like?
0: Well, it, it can look like anything from talk to a friend mm-hmm. um, and allow yourself to vent and don't feel guilty about it. I mean, I think that that's a big piece of it. Feeling that mm-hmm. you know you you may have feelings of resentment, you may have feelings of being angry about it, uh, about being frustrated. You know, and there's a gamut of feelings that you might have. So don't feel guilty that you have those feelings. There. You know, you also have loving feelings and concern feelings, um, but there's any range of emotions you may have, and I think if you try to deny them, then they just come back at you even more so. So you could even just talk to a friend, but then there are a whole other slew of things you could do. Take a, a ten minute rest with a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, whatever you like. Yeah. Go for a short war- walk if you've got, you know, siblings. Um, I'm sorry. You know, siblings of the spouse or yourself who come over for a little while, don't feel you have to entertain them. Use that for a time to go out for a walk or to go do some chores or, you know, something like that. Make sure you're getting as much rest as you can. You know, when um, uh, you were using the metaphor of the plane, what we often talk about with new mothers is that the same thing goes. That if you don't do some self-care, you're not going to be able to keep taking care of your new baby because new babies are so demanding. So when the baby naps, you nap. Well, yeah, sure. There's laundry and there's dishes and there's you know all sorts of things. Yeah. But the best thing to do is when the baby's napping, you nap because you're probably really exhausted. So you know, doing a little meditation, doing you know a little um, uh, stress relief as far as breathing, as far as muscle relax relaxation, taking some time to read, whatever it is that you do that helps you. To relax or to de-stress you, Mm -hmm. that's what you can be doing to help yourself during this time period.
1: Uh, I would like to drill down really quick uh, on one thing that you mentioned, which is giving yourself permission. Because all Mm. those, all the recommendations, I think, are fantastic recommendations. But I think the probably the hardest, the biggest hurdle, will be people giving giving themselves permission and and getting over that guilt. Even knowing that it's probably good for them, um, how how do you have any thoughts or tips on how they can give themselves permission and really give themselves permission to let go of any of the the guilty feelings that go along with it?
0: Well, I guess that the best thing to do is to know that it's very normal to have different feelings, and that by with any emotion, by allowing the expression of emotions, it releases them. Mm. And that if you try to suppress them, they're just going to come back and bite you in some other way, even to the point where it can make you physically ill, Um, and that things are transitory. So let's say for one particular day, you're really angry or you're really upset or you've had enough Probably tomorrow it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And understand that things ebb and flow. Um, So that being the case, whatever negative emotions you may have will also... Dissipate, um, But again, I think that whether it be over this situation or any other situation, the more we try to push down our feelings, the more that they are going to come back at us in some form at some other
1: point. Mm-hmm. It, it's funny because it's almost like a vicious cycle of when you bottle it, it comes out. Uh, oh, absolutely. Negatively, and when you, um, yeah. Anyways, yes. No. Okay, that was very well said, and um, I will move on to the final <laughs> main question. Okay. Here. Um, our audience who listens to the podcast, re- uh, reads the website, um, etc. They come in a variety of ages, and one of the things mm-hmm. that I love and take pride in is that we are not necessarily like a fix it resource a lot of what i like to point out is how we want to um an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure and so i would like to highlight some preventative tips so that you know we can Potentially avoid chronic pain down the road? Do you have any, somebody who's had the, I mean, some of it's unavoidable. I totally understand and recognize right. that. But do you have um, any thoughts or ideas for how we can help prevent some of this stuff?
0: Well, you know, let's take me as an example. Okay. You know, I had one surgery. And then four years later, I had the second surgery, and I was told that the prosthesis would last 15 to 20 years, and the first one went 15 years later, mm-hmm. and so I should have had the second surgery for the second hip over a year ago. Not only do I did I not need it a year ago, but... I don't have any symptomatology because I know mm. what the symptoms are. Yeah. That indicates to me that it's coming up next week or next month.
1: Right.
0: So what did I do differently? Well, the last few years, I have been paying much more attention to my overall health.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I eat properly. I've been working very hard on getting proper sleep schedules. Um, I exercise a lot more. And I truly believe that that is what has made the difference. Mm -hmm. So I would say that taking care of yourself is the best way to avoid situations that are painful, including that when something upsets you, you deal with the feeling, you don't Mm -hmm. push it down. Because again, we know this is not something I'm making up. We know that when emotions are not dealt with, one of the ways, and I like to call it leak, Mm -hmm. one of the ways they will eventually leak is to come out in physical pain. As a matter of fact, I'm just reminded that there is an entire theory by Dr. Sarnow, who has since passed away, that a lot of back pain, is really emotional pain that is unexpressed. Mm. And people will say, oh, no, 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 I have a disc problem, I have a disc, a bulging disc. And he said that even athletes who have bulging discs can still play their sports, but they don't have the emotional baggage where they haven't spoken about it.
1: Mm, interesting.
0: So I think that um, the more that one Pays attention to themselves, takes care of themselves, etc. Now, that also includes that when you're starting to feel something, don't ignore it. Mm-hmm. If you start to feel a headache, for instance, especially like if you're a migraine sufferer, they tell you, take your medicine as soon as you start to feel it. Don't wait for it because then you're chasing pain. And it's much more difficult to get rid of the pain when you're chasing it than if you grab it at the beginning. And when, and by the way, when I was in the hospital recovering from my hip surgeries, they would say the same thing to me. When you start to feel pain, let us know and we'll give you something for it. Don't. Be, you know, so brave about it and wait till it gets so bad because then it's harder to get it back under control. Right. So again, preventatively do everything you can for yourself. But if you start to see some pain, do something about
1: it. Don't mm-hmm. wait. I, th- that's all great advice. I, um, I know two, uh, two people are popping into my head. Um, and I don't want to divulge personal information, but one of them who, who had cancer was told to change their health habits, um, mm-hmm. or lower sugar intake, etc., like that. And, um, you know, years later they were healthier than their younger self and mm-hmm. all the stuff was in remission, um, based on just living a healthier lifestyle. Yeah. And, and it wasn't just that they were cancer free, but like, blood pressure and all, all the, all the metrics were better. Right. Yeah. Um, and another person going back to knee replacements and hip replacements and things, um, was told, uh, you need to lose weight, uh, because Mm -hmm. that's putting added stress on all your joints Mm -hmm. and it never happened. (laughs) And lo and behold, things got worse. And Mm -hmm. I always wonder, Oh, what would things have looked like had they like, actually listened to the doctor and done those types of things. Um, one final thing. They that, may
0: not have had to have had surgery right. at all or certainly not as soon as.
1: Exa- yes, exactly. Absolutely.
0: We and, know that weight uh, really makes it much more difficult on on our uh, hips and knees.
1: Right. And, um, and then one of the last things that I, like me personally, this is one of my personal philosophies is, I would rather spend time today exercising, taking time out of my day today to exercise than spend time 20 years from now in a doctor's office or handling doctor's appointments or calling insurance companies. Because as far as I can tell, um, if I'm fortunate enough to live a happy, healthy, long life, um, you have one of those two choices. Um, Mm -hmm. you're going to be spending the time somewhere. And so I would rather do it on my Mm -hmm. terms, running around my neighborhood, enjoying the breeze, enjoying the nature, whatever, you know, some people like going to the gym or riding a bike or playing tennis or whatever. Um, and you know, again, that's not to say that something could, couldn't befall me down the road. Uh, but there are some things that we know 100% science-based. Are preventative, so mm-hmm. um, you know, living that healthy lifestyle, um, finding a way to live that healthy lifestyle hopefully will help prevent you from, you know, at, or at least postpone it, right? Like, as you were pointing out, right? You know, postponing it. So, um, I know people who uh lived really active, tough lives and didn't take care of themselves, and now in retirement really struggle. And, um, they, they can't like, they can't enjoy the retirement. I think the way that they always imagined it because they've been so debilitated by all the health issues that they ignored for so long. And it's just, it breaks my heart to see those situations. So, um, uh, okay. So with all that said, Karen, was there anything else, um, that you would like to add to the conversation today?
0: I I think, you know, as you were speaking just now, I was thinking, well, you know, I don't want to end this podcast on a down note. (laughs) So let's put it on an up note, which is that there are things, luckily, that we can do to give us healthier, happier lives, longer lives. Mm -hmm. So isn't that nice that that's in our control?
1: Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Um, And with that, we will wrap it up. I don't want to spoil it. Um, So, Karen, (laughs) thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your corny jokes. It brightened my day and look forward to doing it again very soon. Um, And with that, I want to remind you that you have been listening to Dr. Karen Sherman, a practicing psychologist and relationship and lifestyle issues for over 30 years. Karen is the author of Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. She is also the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. You can get this and more information at her website, drkarensherman.com. And of course, you can find it on our website, hitchedmag.com, where we have our complete podcast archive, 500 plus episodes, thousands of articles, and more. So please check that out if you would. And until next time, that's going to do it for us.